Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen and with me are Devinter Hardwire and Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. What we're going to do on today's podcast, we got some emails to discuss, a lot of Toy Story related emails. And then we are going to move on into some what we've been watching and then conclude with an in-depth review. Uh, this week we are going to be reviewing the new Danny Boyle film, Yesterday. Uh, and if we have some time, we'll try to squeeze in a slash film court in there as well, which is when we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. So that's what we got in store for you. You can find more episodes of the podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can also email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com, which is what many of you have done. I want to start by reading this email that comes in from Sean M. Now, uh, you know, uh, we've been covering... Jeff Kanata not wanting his children to be spoiled on The Empire Strikes Back for weeks now. And I, I usually don't like to <laughs> drag something out after, you know, many months after people have already lost interest. Right, um, right. Yeah, right. Boom goes a dynamite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, but uh, <laughs> this email was so good and so astute that I felt like I had to read it. It's, it's just like, it's so good I had to read it, right? And so the concern here is whether or not Jeff can show his children other pop culture like Toy Story 2 before he shows them The Empire Strikes Back, right? Right. This email comes from Sean M. who writes in, I feel compelled to respond after the emailer who said that Toy Story 2 parody of Empire Strikes Back is too oblique of a reference for a child to get. Perhaps his child was not raised in a household where film literacy is sacrosanct and instilled at a very young age as it is in my household and surely is in Jeff's also. Allow me to regale you with my personal experience. Just like Jeff, I wanted my daughter Lily to have an unsullied experience with The Empire Strikes Back. I did not show her any Star Wars movies or Clone Wars cartoons until I thought she was at an age where she could fully appreciate them. Lily is a child that has been filming her own movies since she was three. Movies of her Barbies or of her little sister in the bassinet or just of her toes or holding the camera on the TV playing a DVD of Strictly Ballroom for its entire runtime. For her first kindergarten open house, the class was assigned to draw a picture of what they wanted to be when they grew up. All the kids drew pictures of mailmen, firemen, football players, and teachers, but Lily drew a picture of herself being a movie director. I've never been so proud to be her parent. But my adulation quickly dissipated and turned to dread when I saw her little kindergarten crushes drawing next to hers. His name was Dakota, and I soon found out that his father had bestowed on his first male child the middle name of Skywalker. And right there in distinct black Crayola was a crude picture of the Dark Lord of the Sith. Yes, Dakota Skywalker proclaimed that he wanted to be Darth Vader when he grows up. Now, I'd sheltered Lily so that she had no idea who Darth Vader was. And here's this little boy right there in her class, a kid whose father was decked out in a Star Wars t-shirt and tattoo sleeves of the Imperial fleet emblazoned on his arms. I had a premonition right there that Dakota Skywalker was obviously poised and ready to spoil the entire trilogy someday while swinging on the monkey bars. I had to act fast. I did not have the luxury of time. I couldn't wait until she was 8 or 10 or 12. Cosmic forces beyond my control had determined it had to be that very day at a mere five years old, that this future female Steven Spielberg was to experience the wonder and majesty and might of a saga from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. So we went home and watched The New Hope, and she absolutely loved it. 
all except for the part where Princess Leia stays in the rebel base in Yavin, pensively watching the boys saving the day. She asked me why Leia couldn't have been flying in the next wing, too. Good point, Lily. Good point. We immediately followed it up with Empire, and she was transfixed the entire time. She followed along with everything that happened, recoiled at the AT-ATs, marveled at Yoda, and decided she wanted to someday live in Cloud City. She clenched up during the final showdown between Luke and Vader, entirely transfixed, and then we got to the moment, the moment I've been waiting for ever since I saw the little speck of her on the ultrasound, with eyes wide, she listened intently as Vader said, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No, I am your father. Lily shrieked and jumped off the couch and screamed, That's just like Buzz Lightyear. Oh, <laughs> oh dagger. Dagger. On oh, the heart. Dagger Doesn't mean the they were heart. spoiled for Star Wars, though. It was just like the, the first brush. Any, that, anyway, Jeff, may, yeah. may the force be with you. I believe the odds of keeping <laughs> it from your kid is 3,720 to 1. Mm, so yeah, nicely, nice reference. I, yeah, I kind uh, of love how every generation finds new ways to script their kids, by the way. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's fun to watch. Uh, so I have just texted you guys uh, three <laughs> pictures. Uh, I hope you've seen them uh-huh. uh, <laughs> that I happen to have on my phone from a long time ago. These are pictures of my preschool all about me book. From 1981. Oh, wow. You, you just yeah. had these ready to go, Jeff. I, I realized I had them on my phone. So the first is the cover with little me. And then the second is, well, there's a sort of a, just a context of like some stuff about me. But then the one that I really want to point you to, it, this is a book all about me. This is something you I filled out in preschool uh, with the aid of my teachers. There's a series of questions. And one of them is... Uh, what I want to be when I grow up. And I, do you guys see that? Uh-huh. Yeah, you said, uh, I, what I want to be, be a director of movies. That's what you're right. saying. And it says, why? <laughs> I have many ideas of what they could do in movies. <laughs> who, who, Boy, who, does he. Who, who's they, yeah. Jeff? Who's they in that? The people who make movies. Yeah. Can we can we tweet this from the Slash Filmcast account so people can see these? Sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, so, so if you want to see what Jeff is, is talking about, we'll tweet these photos from the slash filmcast Twitter account, which is twitter.com slash slash filmcast. Uh, the other page, the other page that I sent you has uh, my favorite toy is my Star Wars stuff. Mm. And my favorite television show is Super Friends. So I was a geek from start. My favorite clothes, underoos. And you'll notice, you'll note, even in preschool, uh, note the name that's written at the top, not by me, but my teacher. Note, note it. It looks like it's one N and two T's. One N and two T's. From preschool, David. People <laughs> wonder why I say with two N's and one T. From preschool. Just saying. Just saying. It's a lifelong curse. Uh, one N and two T's right here on my preschool thing. So um, so anyway, I, I sent those to you guys to say I feel a, a kinship to our writer inner's daughter. Listen, uh, these are the most pressing problems of our times right now. <laughs> this you know, is how uh, do we keep our kids safe from spoilers? I I just want to say that your daughter, who clearly knows what she wants to be when she grows up, even now, yes, yes. can be like me, a failed movie maker <laughs> and podcaster. You mean a cultural uh, genius, <laughs> Jeff, that uh, millions of people love and respect? A, yes. a cultural juggernaut. Um, also yeah. here it says, my favorite friend is Peter. Is that an actual dude or are you talking about Peter Parker like from Spider-Man? Oh, I wish I could say it was Peter Parker. I should have just said, <laughs> oh. yes, it was Peter Parker. But no, but my next door neighbor was, was this kid named it's Peter. It's okay. No, no shame in having an actual human friend, Jeff. 
Um, <laughs> it was my first and only at that time and my oh. last for many, many years. Oh, Human oh. friends are good. Jeff, I have to say your handwriting is excellent. Yeah. No, this, this was not written by me, as you Come can on. tell from the two N, two, one N and two T's at the top. Oh, yeah. uh, these oh. are not written by me. This, this was dictated. with the aid. Dictated. Yes, with the aid of a... Uh, with the aid of a teacher. I was about to say, Jeff is some sort of handwriting genius over here. This is like perfect. I mean, Jeff, here's my question is how will you feel? How will you feel when, and I say when, not if, your children see Empire Strikes Back and their first reaction is, as in Lily's case, hey, it's just like Buzz Lightyear from Toy Story. Like, what's your reaction going to be? I mean, that, that is that that I just hearing that read aloud uh, <laughs> made me very sad. But, you know. Uh, it was like daggers into your heart, basically. Daggers right? into my heart, but 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 in the grand scheme of things, relatively minor. But still, it's just it's a magical moment that you want them to love and appreciate, and that's that's all it is. It's not trying yeah. to recreate yeah. my my youth because I don't remember that moment from my kid, my childhood. But I would love to be there and witness it and and enjoy that roller coaster ride of emotions of of expectation and I don't know. I, if it doesn't happen, it's not the end of the world, yeah, but it is, yeah. you know, it, it would be a, a lovely thing. And I, I hope my kids love those movies like I did. And I'm sure they won't. I'm sure there will be things that they love that I don't understand because that's how generations work. But, you know, I, I, I I'm want dragging that out this segment of the podcast <laughs> over many, many episodes to inure you to the fact that one day uh, you will your your children will be pre-spoiled on, on Empire Strikes Back. Well, and hopefully, like. Yeah, the greatest fear, by the way, is that uh, is that they don't like it at all. Like they see the twist, they see everything, and they're like, "Meh," and go back to their phones. Yeah, I feel that like is, that's the biggest right. heartbreak. Yeah, the the oh my gosh, it was in Toy Story, and I remember it because it means something to me. Yes, that yes. that at least is something. But the right. yeah, but the what, Daddy, this is this is dumb. I'm can so bored. Can we go play football now, Daddy? Yeah, please. Yeah, can we watch anything else or turn the TV off and? Yeah, which is definitely way worse. You're right, Devendra. <laughs> I really appreciated this email because I felt like somehow this person, Sean M., like this email was a distillation of both, uh, like all of our neuroses into one email. Uh, somehow. So, <laughs> so true. I really love that email to slash from catchgmail.com. Another Toy Story related email. This one comes in from Jeff from the GibsonReview.com. Uh, and Jeff writes in this this uh, long email about Toy Story 4. And so I'll just say, say right now, I'm going to spoil Toy Story 4. So if you want to uh, skip ahead a little bit to when Devinger is doing his What We've Been Watching, uh, that is you know a, a good move if you have not seen Toy Story 4 and don't want to be spoiled. Um, so I'm going to give you just like another five to ten seconds to skip forward or press pause or whatever for Toy Story 4 spoilers. But they're going to start right now. This email comes in from Jeff again to slash from catchgmail.com. Uh, and Jeff writes in this, this long email about Toy Story 4. I'm just going to read one section from it. I want to hear what your guys' thoughts on this are. Uh, Jeff writes in like things he liked, things he didn't like. And then under things he didn't like, he writes, The biggest issue in Final Blow, the end. Woody, a character who has always been about the purpose and spirit of toys and childhood play, chooses self over everything he spent the last 24 years fighting for. In the moment on the roof of the RV, he chooses self-pleasure, the love of Bo, instead of going back to his child. You may say that he ends up helping kids afterwards anyway and enjoys a life of freedom. First of all, in the moment, he isn't making a choice to help other kids. He's making a choice to be with Bo. 
You may say, yes, but Bo represents freedom and he gets to let her, uh, he gets to let go. I ask, to what end? What Bo offers when they are at the top of the carousel is certainly less compelling than a life of play, joy, and childhood wonder, the purpose of a toy that would be passed down from one child to another for years, as Woody has experienced for at least half of his existence. You may say, okay, but he does end up getting to help kids, as shown when he's allowing toys to be given away for free at the carnival. How long is that going to last, really? I mean, at some point, (laughs) the carnival is eating so much cost from losing those toys that it won't be able to operate, or at least will no longer be able to offer those prize games. So that's not nearly as rewarding as the alternative. Even Woody if Bonnie... did not do a sufficient profit loss assessment. Yeah, he of did the not assess the ROI. Making... Uh, yeah. So that's not nearly as rewarding as the alternative. Even if Bonnie isn't playing with him right now, eventually he would be given away and played with someone else. Being a lost toy does not serve the purpose of being a toy. This so-called ending for Woody is a betrayal to everything he's believed in. <laughs> so I... yeah, what do you think? What do you think of that? I, I think it's a valid <laughs> point. It's uh, a valid point, but the the metaphor i think that the movie is going for is that he is doing what my parents have done right and that is retire he's retiring mm-hmm. and he has been a a parent and a guardian and a uh given selflessly for many years and at a certain point he's retiring and recognizing that his uh his watch is done uh, mm-hmm. And now my watch is ended, he says, and he can go and just relax. That's what it is. It's it's. But, a... but Jeff, why must these sentient creatures be able to experience joy on their own? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's like, the question. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> right. He said they they serve us and our whims. <laughs> that's what I they mean, were programmed to do. <laughs> Come the on. Such, the central question of of Toy Story as a franchise is: What if the things we loved as kids? could love us back just as much. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing, but it's also a horrific notion. Yeah, actually, I think the central uh, central uh, point is, what if the things we loved as kids could feel pain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if inanimate objects that we loved could feel pain? Uh, yeah, that's because I mean, the, 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 uh, the pure idea that something loves us back and we are completely unaware of it, but we can also... We, we treat it like garbage because we are just unaware that it loves us is a just a terrifying thing. It's just a it's a nihilistic, awful idea that uh, that if you scratch the surface even a little bit, you start going down a rabbit hole. But uh, I, I kind of reject the notion of the, the premise of this email in the sense that what we're supposed to understand, like I, I love my parents. I love my dad. Right. I, I love both my parents. And my dad in his retirement has done some things that I personally wouldn't agree with, you know, uh, <laughs> but it's, he earned it. It's, it's good old late life now. skydiving. Yeah. <laughs> like, not a good choice. That I would approve of. Uh, what, what, what are you talking about? Like, is this like falling down or something, Jeff? Like, what are you, no, what, no, no, what are you no. referring to? I'm not going to get into it. I mean, I, I respect my dad. I'm not going to talk about his life here, but, uh, I, you know, and I love him, but like whatever he, he and my mom both, you know, they're not together anymore, but like whatever they want to do in their retirement to have some, they, and as a parent, I'm seeing, recognizing just how much they gave of themselves to ensure that I had a good upbringing. At a certain point, you just got to go, yeah, man, viva con Dios. You know, it's like, it is do what you need to do. Uh, it, it is your life. Now you have you have been selfless and you have set aside your own needs for the needs of your offspring for too long. It's time for you to 
enjoy yourself and do whatever you want to do. And I think that's kind of where Woody gets, you know, he has, he has given of himself. He has, you know, fretted and, and jumped off the back of moving cars. You know, he's, he's done a lot of things in service of other people. And at a certain point, this movie says, okay, Woody, now you can breathe and walk off into the sunset and have your own existence. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, if Toy Story 3 is about Andy moving on, then Toy Story 4 is about Woody moving on, right? Right. And I think that's fundamentally the arc of those two films. Um, They made it feel like... They made Toy Story 4 feel not necessarily uh, essential, you know, but I felt like it it fit in with the other films uh, in a way that I didn't anticipate. I thought it would feel like a... Uh, a vestigial add-on, and instead it felt like, hey, that does that does feel like it completes the story a little bit. So, in any case, uh, sorry, Jeff, that is Jeff G, who writes into us that he didn't uh, enjoy the film as much for that particular aspect, but hopefully uh, you found uh, our arguments about it to be compelling. And finally, uh, I want to read one last email. This one comes in from uh, Nathan in Portland, Oregon. Uh, who writes in about, uh, he says here, quote, I've seen a lot of people talking online about how The Office is leaving Netflix, and some people are devastated by this. Just wanted to write in and suggest the show Shit's Creek, also on Netflix, which is a somewhat similar style of modern comedy starring Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy, and Eugene's son, Daniel Levy, who co-created the show with his dad. My one-sentence elevator pitch for the show would be, what if Arrested Development happened in a small rural town like Pawnee, Indiana? It feels a lot more focused than Parks and Recreation. Uh, I think... <laughs> I think we had that. I think we had that show. <laughs> it feels a lot. Are you talking about Parks and Recreation? Yes. Feels a lot more focused than Parks and Recreation or Arrest Development or even The Office, with a much smaller cast of colorful characters who are constantly clashing in increasingly crazy and comedic circumstances. Anyway, I couldn't remember if you guys had talked about it on the show, but there are four seasons on Netflix. They're all hilarious and supremely quotable. Though you might have to give it a few episodes before you start to warm up to all the characters, and it gets its hook. It gets its hooks in you. Keep up the great work. That comes in from Nate from Portland, Oregon. Uh, Devinger, mm-hmm. I, th- I feel like you've mentioned Shit's Creek before in the podcast, right? I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it. I don't really watch it, uh, but I will say the first season, my wife started watching it. I was not really into you, but I think once you got to the second season, I was paying a little more attention. I was more into the characters, and I like the entire cast, so I hope to like give it a full go at some point. Catherine O'Hara, like she's a goddess. I love her and everything. I yep. agree. I, I, my, my wife and I started the first season and we got three episodes in and she was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Yeah, yeah. She did not like the kids. She found Takes the kids to be very abrasive. But I, I was kind of more into it than she. It's just I can't watch things without her. So it's hard. This email does kind of raise a couple of uh, bits of, of news that occurred uh, this week that I, I just feel the need to mention. One of them is that uh, Shit's Creek airs on a network – that uh, recently decided to renew One Day at a Time, the uh, Netflix original series. Any of you guys seen One Day at a Time by any chance? I yeah. haven't. No, I haven't. Oh, watched Jeff, it. you would love it. Yeah, you would. Like sure, it. I would. You would I'm like sure it. I would. Yeah. Um, uh, it's really just like it. heartwarming yeah. and wonderful. Yeah. So One Day at a Time was aired on Netflix for three years. It stars, uh, amongst other people, like Rita Moreno, um, Alyssa Machado, uh, and. Uh, it also stars uh, my friend Stephen Tobolowsky uh, in the movie, uh, in the show, I should say, and it was canceled. Um, and uh, I think he's all of our friends, Dave. 
I mean, maybe more your friend. I like yeah. how Dave claimed ownership. Of yeah, that. I mean, I know he's more your friend. I mean, we yeah. met him through you, but it, he's our friend, all of our friend. I, you know, I don't, I don't dispute that. Um, <laughs> but uh, Justina Machado, sorry, not Alicia Machado. I, I got her name wrong. Um, but uh, yeah, this show had been canceled after three seasons, and people thought that it was dead. Uh, like, there's no way it's coming back. I thought it was dead. It's really hard for a show that's been canceled uh, yeah, by a streaming yeah. service to be picked up. And uh, also one that's been like passed by several other streaming services too. Like n- nobody really wanted to jump on it. Yeah, and uh, all of a sudden, not not this crazy. So this is the first show ever to have gone from a uh, streaming service, been canceled by a streaming service, and then being picked up by a traditional cable network. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's just remarkable. Although, to be fair, it's a network I've never heard of. And I don't know how many people actually subscribe to it, but it's a network. Yeah, it's a the, thing. The network is Pop, which of which Shit's Creek is like one of their primary shows. And uh, I've read interviews with the head of ne- programming and the head of the network, and they are like uh, seriously considering like investing in this show for the long term. Like we'll see what the ratings are uh, when this next season comes back. But it's just crazy that it went from not being a show and almost certainly dead to now it might go on for like five or 10 years, depending on how things happen. Um, so very happy for all the people who are involved with that show. A uh, brave new world we're living in. Yeah, yeah. Brave new world we're living in. And uh, I, I know that this show is extremely beloved by all sorts of people. Uh, and it is, it, it is one of those shows that like, it warms your heart that a show like that is on the air. It is a very positive, very inclusive message. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, just wanted to give a shout out to one day at a time, all fans of one day at a time. First three seasons are on Netflix. Uh, the next season will air on pop TV. Who knows what's going to happen with the digital streaming rights. They might be licensed by Netflix. Uh, so oh. the whole thing might come full circle, but anyway, uh, so thanks for the emails and the recommendations. Keep those all coming into slash from and congrats to all the people from one day at a time, um, for that show getting picked up. Again, uh, back from the dead. Really incredible. Let's get to what we've been watching. Devinder Hardwar, what are you watching this week? I've seen See You Yesterday, which is not the movie we're reviewing. It's another <laughs> movie. Uh, Wait, another what? movie with Yesterday in the title. Uh, this is a Netflix thing. I believe it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival. It's a, Oh, is this that tri- time travel movie? Yeah, it's a time travel thing. It is a fun teenage time travel of romp. Uh, the twist is, uh, you know, it's about people you don't typically see in fun sci-fi movies. So this is a movie about two kids uh, living in Flatbush, Brooklyn, my neighborhood right now, um, who are you know, they go to a very fancy high school. Um, I think I think it's Bronx Science, one of the like higher uh, and public high schools here in New York. Um, you know, it's about t- these two African-American kids are really great at uh, math and building things you know they're they're kind of child geniuses they basically figured out time travel and i love how the movie just kind of accepts that and they're like oh yeah we got this uh and it really just jumps through all that really well um it feels a lot like uh, back to the future at certain points and there are certainly some very obvious nods to that right at the beginning but i think at the same time like it is so different too because this is a movie set somewhere where we don't typically see uh, teen-oriented m- movies like this, and certainly not science fiction ones. And it's able to deal with a lot more. So yeah, it is these kids exploring time travel and the repercussions of it, but also you know the impact of uh, police violence on their communities, and that is actually central to the plot. 
And I'd also, you know, I'd say this is a good movie for kids and certainly kids of color, but it also gets to be, um, I don't even know if it has a rating. It gets to be a little, uh, a little adult at times too. Like, I don't know if this movie has quite balanced that aspect of what it wants to be. Cause I would really love to recommend it to more teens. Uh, I think their parents may not be into some of that. Uh, but the overall story I think is really well told. Um, the filmmaking is great and honestly, it is just fantastic to see a movie like this about West Indian black teens here in America. One of the kids is from Guyana, my home country. That's like, I've never seen that before. There's a huge Guyana flag, uh, on their driveway. And it is just so, I think it's just so refreshing. You know, we've seen this idea many, many times, uh, kids stumble into time travel and go on adventures and I think this uses that whole plot dynamic uh, to a much more interesting effect. Uh, it's definitely worth watching. It's on Netflix right now. Check it out. All right. Very cool. Uh, that is See You Yesterday. Yeah. And it was uh, directed by Stefan Bristol and produced by Spike Lee. Uh, yep. Check that out on Netflix. Devinder, what else have you watching? I've also seen the first episode of Too Old to Die Young, which is a uh, Nicholas Winning Reference uh, Amazon TV show. And I believe for this segment, uh, Dave has been replaced uh, by like one of those uh, inflatable figures, like the <laughs> inflatable guy from Airplane. So Dave will not be able to chime in on this. But I have to say, uh, this sure is a Nicholas Winding Refn TV show. <laughs> I think that's what I really have to say about it. I have seen this first episode. I have no idea what this show is actually about, um, but it's very pretty. Every shot is perfectly composed. And much of it involves Miles Teller staring off into the distance uh, with a concerned look on his face. And that's pretty much the entire show. Uh, I feel like if you're into what Ruffin does and certainly his like uh, almost like pornographic love of like cinema and just like uh, I, I don't know what you would call his movies, but they're very like it's like they're making love to the frame sometimes. And he really does that in this show. Uh, it, it, Miles Teller is a corrupt cop. He works for gangsters, I guess. Um, he's not a good guy. Uh, th there are a lot of interesting guest stars. I think this first episode has one fun star. I didn't expect it. In. Um, uh, yeah, I, th I think my thing is this is very much a Nicholas Winding reference show. Uh, I kind of wonder, can this guy make something about people who are happy? Like people <laughs> who are just like can nope. smile? It maybe smile into the distance for extended periods longer than they probably should. Uh, I would love to see that. Uh, this feels like a remix of a lot of things we've seen from him. Reminds me of the Pusher series. Certainly reminds me of Drive. Probably more reminds me of Only God Forgives, which is that movie uh, that I believe nobody liked. So it has its fans. Uh, I'm going to keep watching just because I really am into the style. And to me, it's like a nice weeknight meditation almost. Um the style of it is enough to keep me on board, but man, I really wish, uh, wish I knew what was happening. I wish character motivations were clearer, um, but it sure is pretty. All right. Well, that's too old to die young. That's what Divinger Hardware has been watching. Uh, well, as people on the Slash Filmcast listening uh, know, I was violently ill last week. And uh, I don't know about you guys, but when I get sick, uh, some, one of the things I like to do, if I'm even well enough to do this, is I get like a huge blanket, you know, snuggle myself into it, get the heating pad on, uh, uh -huh. and just sweat it out. And that's what I did for two days last weekend. 
while watching extraordinarily disturbing documentaries? <clears throat> you wish. Actually, one of them is <laughs> disturbing. Um, but I watched. Uh, I got caught up with a couple things. Uh, I actually, after a, an extended absence, I finally finished Broad City, the Comedy Central series that so good. recently concluded yeah. season five. Um, and uh, yeah, that show is awesome. Uh, and the ending of that show, so you can watch the entire series on Hulu right now. Uh, and the ending of that show was a real emotional gut punch that I did not see coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I would highly recommend it. I think it it lost its footing a little bit in season four. Season four, I would say, is probably the weakest one out of all of them. But uh, seasons one, two, three, and five, I thought were all top notch. Uh, would strongly recommend. It is hilarious. And the two central performances are so strong, specifically Alana Glazer. I mean, th- her performance in Broad City is fearless. And uh, I just, it was a constant delight to see what she would do every single episode. Uh, and so strongly recommend the show. Check it out if you have a chance. If you're looking for a fun comedy set in New York City, that's Broad City. It's on Hulu. Speaking of comedies, I also had a chance to check out What We Do in the Shadows on FX. I watched the entire first season. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, you know, I I actually this took me a few tries to be honest. Like, I started with episode one, and I thought this is so close to the film that I don't really know what value this is. With adding. some key differences, though, yeah, I, I felt very similarly. It's like it's like a cover band almost. Yeah, um, a bit, a bit. But yeah, Matt the, Barry, the, Matt Barry's Matt good. Barry's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, there, there's some, there's some differences, like some of the ca- the character mixes are different, right? Um, yeah. but, uh, over time, the show really reveals itself to take full advantage of its premise. Um, so I, like the, li- literally, I'm not even exaggerating. I probably attempted to watch episode one, like three times. And <laughs> I, I got like 10 minutes in, I'd be like, you know, what? I already saw this, like it's in the movie. And then I, finally, I just skipped episode one. Like I couldn't even get through. It. I was just like, you know, what? I'm just going to go to episode two. And well, then something from... big does happen at the end of episode one that you should still watch. It. Well, fair if, enough. But movie, starting yeah. episode two, uh, I really f- feel like it, it starts exploring the full potential of the premise in ways that uh, I, you know, definitely weren't explored in the film itself. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with the characters. Like there's one character who's like an energy vampire. Like he's not a regular vampire. So funny, uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. like I found that to be very clever. Jeff, uh, you did you watch the series? I have not watched the entire first season, but I watched a few episodes, uh, and I yeah. liked it. I liked it. I think I talked about it on the show. I, I liked it, but it it does feel like uh, less than the movie. I I think uh, over the first season, it, it eventually gets to the point where I feel like it adds yeah. meaningfully to the mythology. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, like, I would say the standouts to me are Nadia, who's played by Natasha Dimitriou, and Colin Robinson, who's played by Mark Proch. He's the energy vampire. Uh, I just thought those were probably the two two of the standout comedic performances of the show for me. Uh, and so I eventually found it to be worth the time. And uh, you know, it might be rough going, especially if you've seen the film. Maybe it's easier if you haven't seen the film. You know, like it might be easier to get into it if you haven't seen the movie. But I said just give it some time. It's like the first season of The Office, right? Which was literally a copy of the UK Office. Right. And then they were like, oh, okay, let's do, let's be different. Let's do something a little more. Well, also, they ran out of UK Office to copy. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, there's more than two seasons. <laughs> yeah, kind of, oh, no. kind of same situation with the show, too. So yeah, yeah. That's what we do in the shadows. Uh, and that is available on uh, FX. I actually watched it using my YouTube TV app. Finally, I wanted to mention the show I watched called Awake, The Million Dollar Game. Have you heard of this? 
These contestants have been up for 24 hours. They'll push their tired minds and bodies to the limit and beyond in a series of mental and physical challenges geared to test the ultra tired. <laughs> 24 hours, zero rest, a million dollars. I only heard about it because you mentioned it. Are you familiar with the phrase late stage capitalism? Um, <laughs> yes, very there much is so. this there is this uh, concept called late capitalism or late stage capitalism that's been floating around now. And uh, there's a, an Atlantic article that uh, I think does a good job of summarizing what it is. Uh, this is an Atlantic article by Annie Lowry, who writes, quote, a job <laughs> advertisement celebrating sleep deprivation. That's late capitalism. Freewheeling Coachella outfits that somehow all look the same and cost thousands of dollars. Also late capitalism. Same goes for this Wi-Fi connected $400 juicer that does no better job than human hands. Pepsi's advertisement featuring Kendall Jenner. United Airlines forcible removal of a seated passenger who just wanted to go home. And the glorious debacle that was the fire festival. The phrase ominous, academic, despairing, and sarcastic has started showing up everywhere. Late, and I'm skipping forward a little bit. Late capitalism in its current usage is a catch-all phrase for the indignities and absurdities of our contemporary economy with its yawning inequality and superpowered corporations and shrinking middle class. So that is what late capitalism is. And on Netflix, this show called Awake, the Million Dollar Game uh, is a perfect example of late capitalism. Uh, and there's actually a great article on, Net, uh, on Newsweek.com about it entitled, On Netflix's Awake, uh, the Million Dollar Game, Contestants Stay Awake 24 Hours to Count 4 Million Quarters. That's the headline of the article. Very accurately describes what's going on in the show. So uh, I, I'm actually just going to read parts of this article to you because I think it does a better job of describing the show than I possibly could. Uh, on Newsweek here, this is uh, by Andrew Whalen. He writes... Awake, the million-dollar game on Netflix. In, in this game, contestants face tedious or uncomfortable challenges while sleep-deprived. In the first episode of the new Netflix game show, seven contestants stay awake for 24 hours to count out as many quarters as they, as they can from a pool of four million. By the end, a few took buyouts of a few thousand dollars and the rest won nothing. The episode opens with contestants in a secret room where they have 24 hours to shovel quarters into money bags, count them on a table, then dump the haul in their wheelbarrow. Their challenge was not to only maximize their quarter count, but to keep an accurate tally in their head. So just going to stop there for a second. Like, that's kind of the, the main objective of the game is they, they are sleep deprived. They need to count out uh, as many quarters as they can from a million dollars worth of quarters. And then... Um, keep track of it in their head so you 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 basically win points if you have counted the most and are like most accurate if that makes sense right Mm -hmm. and uh so there's this one guy uh jc who basically had a this is a this is the first episode of awake the million dollar game jc uh stared at a picture of his son to motivate himself during the count and he's like, you know, the, the, the host asks, like, you're looking at your son like, man, we need this. And JC said, yes, we do. And uh, so then the contestants are subjected to these, like, humiliating games where they need to, like, punish themselves. Like, basically, for instance, one game was drink as much cold slushy as possible. And whoever drinks the least is eliminated. Um, and then finally, at the episode's end here, I'm quoting from the Newsweek article again. JC won $138,000, burst into tears, and led the audience in a chant of his son's name, Preston. 
But then after more than 24 hours awake, he risked it all for a chance to win $1 million. He lost the final challenge because his coin count at the very beginning of the episode was off by $264. People in the audience covered their mouths in horror. You're leaving here with nothing money-wise, but you got Preston, the host says. Keep watching. <laughs> Keep watching because the next episode starts in five, four, three, two, and et cetera. And then like you see Netflix is like, you know, next coming on next, the next episode of Awake. Uh and, and like countdown like matches what the host says. Uh anyway, this is like one of the most upsetting things I've ever watched. And uh yeah. I, I I just uh I, I, I'm I, glad I to see we are finally at the point uh, of like Japanese game shows where they just like are cruel to the contestant contestants, basically. Like that's the show and you're laughing at the cruelty of it. It's kind of hilarious. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I, hilarious isn't the word I'd use. It, it is so over the top. It's like it's basically like a precursor to the running man, you know, like. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's like so upsetting that. You These people going nothing. through hell for your entertainment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You could have had Red Snapper. You get nothing. <laughs> that, that's what's, what. That is what I'm saying. You know, one of the great things about Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that I, I think people didn't like appreciate enough when it was on was that like no matter what, like there were like little stages. Like you could, oh, you're going home with at least sixteen thousand dollars, or you're going home with at least hundred thousand dollars. You know, like there were there was still drama. But you wouldn't feel like a, a terrible human being for watching the show. You know what I mean? Because uh, yeah. at least even if they lost a million dollars, at least they went on with a hundred thousand. This guy stayed up for twenty four hours, uh, subjected himself to a series of humiliating tasks, and then left with nothing. I mean, that just feels like it makes the viewer complicit, you know, in in the horrors that the show is inflicted on your fellow humans. So I do not recommend the show Awake the Million Dollar Game. Uh, and that's all I have to say about it. Are any of you intrigued by this? No. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad I spent all this time warning people away from it then. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, stay away from Awake, the million dollar game. Oh, finally, one other thing I wanted to shout out. Uh, ER. The the uh, entire series ER went on sale for $70. Oh, boy. You bought it, didn't you? I bought I bought it. It's, it's... I mean, that's a steal. $70 for that? Yeah. Uh, you know Dude, that was, was like that was like the dawn of this golden age. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Was with the was the beginning of it. I think one of the like it, it is such an incredible deal. Like, do you guys remember how much money the show cost to make in its oh, heyday? Yeah. It, it cost. I remember around... having ER watching parties uh, and and people just ravenous about it. It was appointment viewing. It was uh, serialized storytelling to a certain extent when nobody was doing serialized storytelling. Yeah, yeah, it was it, a big deal. It cost $13 million per episode to make that show in its heyday. And they, they made like 22 episodes per year. This is when they were still on that like really ludicrous uh, shooting schedule that network TV has you on. And the idea that you can own something that costs $14 million per episode to make Mm-hmm. Over the course of 330 episodes, yeah. over the course and also of 15 th- years. Like, think about how much those DVD sets cost back in the day. I yeah. remember like VHS box sets. Like it was rough if you wanted to own and watch ER. I, on I bought basically. the uh, season one DVD for I think it was like forty or fifty dollars at the time. Yeah, yeah. And now you can get the entire series for seventy dollars. Uh, that was a good deal. But anyway, the show... Are you going to tell us whether that show holds up or not? I would say <laughs> it does in general. Um, yeah. I, I, I watched a couple of episodes. Uh, the big one I watched that I hadn't seen before, actually, was called Love's Labor Lost. 
Oh, uh, yeah. Which, like, just by the title, you know that show is going to freaking devastate you. And uh, it was extremely good. There is an oral history, a TV guide. It won multiple Emmys. Um, it was... And it was also one of the first times that America welcomed in uh, Josh Lyman, a.k.a. Bradley Whitford, into their living rooms. Um, it was viewed by 33 million people when it first aired in season one. And uh, it is still really incredible. You know, like I, I still find it very moving. I feel um, like that show was a victim of a lot of uh, back behind the scenes contract dispute cast changes and uh, it would have been better if the era we're in now where casts sort of stick with TV longer because ER was happening at a time when you used TV to try to get to a movie career. Right. And that yeah. now, really now it's the other way around, basically. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, and I feel like if we had had a cast that stuck around over the long term, you know, if Clooney had stayed and a lot of those other actors had stayed as from the original cast longer. I think the the storytelling would have benefited and it would have been a stronger show over a longer period. I, I will say that I think one of the things that the show suffers from is after around season uh, seven or eight, the storylines become increasingly ludicrous, right? Like they, yeah, yeah. they become every, the, more, more the ridiculous. The ER explodes every week. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's yeah. like some car driving through the front <laughs> yeah. of it every week. Has the TV show really survived past season eight? Like maybe other than yeah. The Simpsons and that was up till 10. And then after that, it's like, uh, I don't know. Well, yeah. season eight, and you're making 22 episodes a year, too, right? Yeah, and, yeah. Oh, uh, man, that's I so actually, rough. It's I, all on Hulu, by the way, if you don't feel like spending this money. For yeah, it's true. Stuff. The entire se- season is, is on Hulu. Uh, so I actually watched Broad City on Hulu, as I mentioned earlier, and I probably saw the same ad for Listerine, uh, no exaggeration, uh, 892 times. Uh, and so I was just like, you know what? If I, I'm not going to rewatch ER like this. Like, yeah. I can't. I can't have the, and so yeah. no breaking point for spending a, a couple bucks more to go ad free like can nothing. I, okay, yeah. yeah. Can I ask you guys a tangential question to this, please? Do you think <laughs> it is it is better or worse when it dis, when it displays uh, now showing ad four of six? God, oh, I actually I actually love all that stuff. I love all their ad tech stuff like they have like, hey, you can choose which ad you want to watch. They have like you can watch one long ad in exchange for no commercial breaks. Like what, I, what is this I Hulu ad nonsense like you guys come on. Yeah, I pay for no ad Hulu. Uh, That's two coffees a month. I don't play. You can do it. But but I I uh, <laughs> what I've been watching is uh, was on the TBS uh, streaming and they do the thing where they go. uh Oh God! Uh, one of six commercials, and you're just like, "Oh, kill me! Just kill the me!" Networks are the worst about it. CBS, I think, did that for some things too. Like, it's uh, you can't really trust any of those ad things, man. I actually really like it. I, I like the that it's like, "Oh, hey, I, I know roughly how much time I have to go to the bathroom before the commercial break is over." So I really appreciate. Just it. Just wait until they can track your eyes and know that you're there watching it. Like yeah. that's not too we'll, far away. We'll pause and wait for you to come back from the bathroom to yep. deliver your ad to your face. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Uh, as for why I don't get the uh, Hulu commercial free, you know, I, I actually am not opposed to that, especially if I'm going to marathon something, Devendra. Um, yeah. But uh, here's well, the thing. The original shows, that's honestly, it's worth it for that alone. But, yeah. Here, here's the thing is uh, I got this deal a while back that's like you get Hulu for 12 months for like $1 per, per month. So oh. I'm like, okay, well, I can't give up the deal. You know what I mean? Like I can't give that up. Yeah, uh, you're just up hours of your life. Yeah, yeah. Instead, I'm just yeah. consuming hours of my life with ads. So, uh, but you know, actually, to be honest, top 10. Wait, what'd you say? Say again. Comes out on top then. 
Yeah, uh, it's it's a good question. But to be honest, sometimes I find the ad breaks refreshing. It like takes some pressure off of needing to concentrate the entire time. So, you know, <laughs> such an odd bird, David. Looking looking on the bright side of just have, standing of, there, squish, staring at the television with so much uh, effort. I'm watching television. Oh, thank God! <laughs> thank God, there's an ad. Okay, I can stop for a second. Indeed. Oh. Yeah. Well, uh, so anyway, that's ER. It was on sale for seventy dollars for three hundred thirty episodes. Uh, I can't pass up a good deal, and so I bought it. I think that sale's probably over now, but uh, it'll probably be back again at some point. Jeff Kanata, what have you been watching this week? Well, I wanted to mention that the Detour is back—a criminally underrated half-hour comedy, in my opinion. This is on TBS. Like I said, I was watching it on the TBS app on Maroku uh, with uh, a whole bunch of ads, but you know, gives you a break from concentrating so hard on the comedy um this is the the show um from uh, jason jones and um his wife uh uh god come on samantha b uh, samantha b yes yeah, samantha b produces and jason jones stars and and co-writes um it, it is i adore this show i've talked about it before on the show uh, we're in season four now season four just debuted and I love this. The idea of the show started uh, with a, a family on a road trip and they have to make a detour, hence the detour and crazy stuff starts happening. Was, season one is fantastic. I highly recommend you start with season one. But we're in season four now and they have just gone, decided to just make the show go completely bonkers. It is insane. The first episode of season four. It takes place in Tibet and uh, like all over the world. The it, show escalates pretty quickly. It's I, say, it's I just love it. I love yeah. it. It's a, it's a cartoon now, which I love. I mean, there's in the first episode, there's like this extended Pratt fall that lasts for like five minutes and not that long, but it lasts like a full minute. And it is uh, it, it's glory. I mean, this show is my sense of humor to a T. It's goofy. It's ridiculous. It's over the top, but it is really smart in, in all those ways too. Um, I love the detour and I, nobody talks about it. And I think that's a crime. I love the fact that it's still going and I love the characters. It's just, it's so, so smart and so well-written. All right. Well, that's the detour. It's on TBS right now. That's going to bring us to the end of what we've been watching before we move on. Why don't we thank the people who donated to the podcast this week? Uh, this week, I think this, this one is a late, uh, thank you. I think we got this donation a couple weeks ago, but Chris Gibson from Fairfax, Virginia donated and he writes in defense of the lazy binge. Thanks for everything you guys do. I really enjoyed listening over the years. Uh, the lazy binge, I think is a concept I introduced a couple weeks ago or mentioned a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago, right? The idea that like, you, you and your, of the good sit. You yeah. and your good friend Stephen Tobolowsky. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that you'd binge a show but not like fully pay attention. That like that's a yeah. lazy binge. And I think you both found it extremely disrespectful, if I recall correctly. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. So, uh, but uh, Chris from Fairfax, Virginia, uh, doesn't find it disrespectful. He's donating in defense of it. If you want to join him in donating to the Slash Filmcast, you can always go to PayPal.me/slash/filmcast. That's PayPal.me. Slash Filmcast. You can also go to slashfilm.com, use the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Thanks to everyone who donates and help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show for you. Uh, you should never donate if it in any way causes you any kind of hardship. But if you do want to help us out and it isn't too much of hardship for you, we really appreciate it. Thanks so much to all of our donors each week. Thanks to all the people who donate every month. Uh, you're all awesome. Let's get to the Slash Film Court. Slash Film Court. Get out of 
All right, that music means it's time for the Slash Film Court, which is our very irregular segment whereby we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. This one's not like this one's not a a, uh, a regular Slash Film Court, but I thought it was an interesting one to discuss. It comes in from Richard A., who writes in, uh, quote, I recently went to the movies to watch The Beach Bum. And the only thing I knew about this movie was that Matthew McConaughey played the main character. With only that information in hand, I was disappointed with how the movie was going. And 30 to 40 minutes in, I could not take it anymore. I had to leave. But I'm wondering, how do you guys feel about leaving movies before they are done? Does talking about movies make you stay all the way to the end? Do you talk about your experience without finishing the movie? I know there's a lot of questions, but I wanted to know what you thought. Hope you keep doing the podcast and keep having fun in the movies. You really make my day when a new episode comes out. That comes in from Richard A. Oh, boy. Who writes in, do you ever walk out of movies? So uh, we will answer this question with the understanding that we are not like, quote unquote, civilians. You know, like we do review movies on a weekly podcast. And so but yeah, we're, we're not really like full blown film critics either. We're in this weird nether realm yes, of yes. like, yeah, having some responsibility, but also the freedom to say, fuck it. I guess, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's yeah. true. I mean, there's a responsibility to you guys uh, yeah. that I take seriously. I'm not going to – there's definitely movies uh, that I've wanted to walk out of uh, or stop <laughs> – more more frequently, it's stop watching in the comfort of my own home. Yeah, I feel like once I've made the effort to actually put on pants and get out of the house and sit in a theater by myself, uh, I'm there for the, yeah. for the duration. But the ones where it's like – you know, put on the Netflix show or the, the movie. I, I think probably yeah. the re- most recent one, Jeff, that you probably were mo- most tempted to turn off was Na- uh, Mandy, right? That's probably <laughs> yes. the one that, like, I would never have finished that movie were it not for this show. Yeah. That is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, but I, I would say at this point, it is extremely rare for me to walk out of a movie because mm-hmm. I need the, the, the extremely uh, nominal cred that I receive from seeing movies. <laughs> Right, like, like yeah. you can't. I don't even feel like you can properly bash a movie or like take down a movie unless you set the yeah. whole thing. And so, usually, what happens is I'm like thirty minutes, forty minutes into a movie, I'm like, this is terrible. I hate this. Um, but I can't even, in good conscience, say how bad it is publicly unless sure. I've seen the whole thing. Right. Sure. Um, I will say a movie I didn't, I, I didn't think was bad or anything, but like a movie that baffled me until the last like twenty minutes was uh, the movie Burning. Um, and, you know, my wife and I watched that movie, Burning, which is now on Netflix. And first two hours, we're like, okay, like, this isn't terrible, but we have no idea what this movie's about or why people think it's awesome. And then the final 20 minutes just kind of, like, pulls everything together in a really interesting way uh, that, you know, really made us think about the movie for a very long time afterwards. Mm-hmm. And so it is possible for, I'm not saying Burning is a movie that needed saving or anything. I know lots of people love that movie all the way through, but it is possible for a movie to dramatically change in the last, you know, 20, 30 minutes. And you might miss it if you walk out. That's very yeah. rare. Yeah. That, yeah. La- that, that tiny infinitesimal chance is yeah. worth the excruciating yeah no i am with you i feel that too i I think the only movie that i remember walking out of honestly Mm -hmm. and you guys are going to get mad when i say this i may have already said this at some point yeah uh was the mummy oh the original mummy with brendan Fraser. have you ever gone back to that no never gone back to it i think you'd enjoy the hell out of that movie wow like it it is on netflix right now i think and it's yeah it is yeah it is a lot of fun jeffrey so bad i was so and my buddy and I went to see it 
uh-huh. and went to the movies in the middle of the day. We were so excited to watch it, and we I think right after the scene where all the um, all of the bookcases fall like dominoes, we uh, turned yeah. to each other and we were like, "Do you want to go?" And yes, and we left. I think this is the last time I walked out of an actual movie in a movie theater. I, I think this is a case too of like tone, right? If you're not into the yeah. tone of a movie. It doesn't even matter like how good people say it is like it's just kind of lost in you. Uh, I just tried uh, recently. I tried started to watch uh, Vice on an airplane and uh, I turned that thing off within 15 minutes and I'm not going to yeah. like qualify like I, I can't judge the entire movie, but I can't say I hated those first 15 minutes. and I don't know when I'm going to see the rest of that movie. So, yeah. yeah. We've done a lot of TV shows where my wife and I turn to each other and we're like, eh, no, too many, too many other things we think yes. we might like. Yes. I think in terms of a theater, the only time I've ever walked out was when like something was just wrong with the presentation or something. Mm-hmm. So like our uh, our college, Dave, uh, when they would used to show movies at like the the campus center, sometimes it was just four by three for no reason because that was the copy they got. And I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not even gonna do this. This is a big screen. I cannot watch this movie square. Sorry, that's ridiculous that they would even do that. Yeah, uh, I, I I can't I can't say why that happened, but. Um, so Jeff, the only movie you ever watched walked out of was The Mummy, huh? The only movie that I can remember walking out of. Yeah, I don't think I've walked out of a movie in many, many years. Also because I've been revu- reviewing movies since 2007. So, right. you know. Right. Uh, cuz yeah, it is kind of like when you're doing this podcast, if you walk out like none of us have ever walked out like if we agree to review it, we yeah. are not going to yeah. walk out, yeah. right? Like right. Yeah. E- there's been many times when like I've been watching a movie we agreed to review and it's terrible and it's like I can't believe we agreed to review it, but like w- yeah. I would none of us have ever dared dishonor the pact we make of right. like we're going to see this movie and talk about it, right? I, I, I would Gods love to walk out of uh, Transcendence by the way, like yeah. I, I still you, recoil you thinking of that, that movie. movie. Yeah. God. Yeah. Um but what were you uh, saying Jeff, which one I, for you? I said <laughs> I said I watched all of Gods of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all hurt for that one. Uh, Devinder, any pack. movies you can remember walking out of in your life? Uh, I mean, uh, like I just said, like only when the presentation was messed up. And right, right, I've right. I've sat through a lot of bad movies. Certainly for this show, like I I, I have not walked out of any. Um, yeah. I've done some film festivals and stuff too, and I still I don't even think I've like given up on movies there. Where I think it's easier to be like, oh, this this is just not working. I'm gonna go. Oh watch yeah, the next yeah, thing yeah. No, definitely that. That's definitely happened to me where I've been at a film festival and I've been like. 30 minutes into a documentary yeah. and I've just been like, you know what? Like, yeah, I'm just like, I'm just not interested enough in this topic to, to want to see the rest of it. So can um, I also say that, you know, I, I think several of us, I, I, I did, uh, worked at a movie theater in high school and I would say just anecdotally that I was shocked at how many people made that a routine occurrence of just walking out and asking for a refund. They went mm-hmm. into a movie and they were like, nope. I don't like this. I want my money back. And we would always give them their money back or not really their money back. A voucher to see a free movie. I did not even know you could do that. That's insane to me, but I think they probably still do it, but we would no questions asked. They walked out and they went, I'm leaving. I don't like this movie. And we would go, okay, here's a voucher for a free movie in the future. Yeah. I think they still People did it all the time, all the time. I actually don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing if, if, as long as they don't finish the movie, you know, that's what I don't understand is if you sit through the entire two hours and then you come out, you're like, that wasn't good. Give me the money. <laughs> like if you leave after like 20 minutes, you know, yeah. that I can yeah. actually respect. Yeah. But if you watch the whole thing, it's kind of like if you get served a meal at a restaurant that's not good and you eat the entire thing and you're like, that wasn't good. Give me the money back. 
Yeah. Like, I, I always try to at least leave a few pieces there, you know what I mean, <laughs> on the plate. <laughs> it's difficult, but I try not to scarf down that thing I hated. <laughs> That's exactly correct. But yeah, I mean, I think at this stage of life, it's like if you if you have gone to the trouble to get out to the theater and you've seen enough of the movie to know that you don't like it, then at this like at this point in my life right now, it's like it, it, it's worth it more to me to finish the movie so I can talk about it. Like yeah. the 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 it's uh, just like, harder to get up in the dark and leave. It's just, it's just <laughs> the path of least resistance yeah. is just to stay put and it's endure just it. Like, yeah, it's just like uh, it's just another hour of my you know life that's slipping away from me like grains <laughs> yeah. of sand through my fingers. And as we know, as we know, you don't value your life enough to uh, give up an ad yeah. on Hulu. So it's yeah, not like it's, it's not nothing. like leaving is going to make the night better. I'm just going to return <laughs> to my terrible life. <laughs> Boy, you guys nailed it. Yeah, so. Uh, so that's why it's it's basically not worth uh, worth uh, walking out of movies at this point. So, yeah. Well, I hope that has helped answer your question, uh, <laughs> listener. Really appreciate all the emails. If you want to submit your movie related dilemma or question, you can always write into us at slashfilmcast@gmail.com. Let's get to our review of Danny Boyle's yesterday. This was my last gig. If it has happened by now, it's like a miracle. Miracles happen. Electricity flicked off all over the world. <laughs> Yesterday, Ellie bought you a present. All my troubles seem wow. so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Oh when did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. That was from the trailer of Yesterday, the new movie by Danny Boyle. I'm going to read the plot summary. Jack Malik is is a struggling singer-songwriter in an English seaside town whose dreams of fame are rapidly fading, despite the fierce devotion and support of his childhood best friend, Ellie. After a freak bus accident during a mysterious global blackout, Jack wakes up to discover that the Beatles have never existed. Performing songs by the greatest band in history to a world that has never heard them, Jack becomes an overnight sensation with a little help from his agent. So that is the plot of this movie, and Danny Boyle, always a person who makes uh-huh. interesting movies. Uh, no matter what I think of the movie, right? I always think it has at least some interesting sure. stylistic flourishes. He likes to stretch himself, which I really appreciate. Yeah. And also coming into this movie too, right? This is after uh, Bond fell apart for him. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting looking at this film through that angle. Yeah. So almost exactly the same as a Bond movie, really. Yes. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. So, Devinder Hardware, your thoughts on yesterday? I uh, I'll say this up front. I don't I don't dislike the Beatles, but I don't have like a huge love for them. I'm not a big listener of their songs. Uh, you know, I can recognize some of them, uh, but like the the initial crux of this movie, um, you know, is like, what if the Beatles disappear? I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> I, okay, I guess that's a big loss for some people. So, I, I think the pitch of this movie is not something I was super into. Uh, but I do like, uh, you know, I love Danny Boyle and I trust him to do something interesting with it. And I think overall, um, coming out of this movie, I really liked it. It's very sweet. I don't think it's a very, it didn't feel particularly complex to me. 
And it still took me, I'm, I'm still like trying to say like, what are the deeper things this movie is saying? Uh, but as, as I was watching it, it definitely just felt like, um, it felt like this is a romantic comedy or of romance in some ways with the trappings of like something that's kind of science fiction. And then coming out, I realized, Oh yeah, Richard Curtis wrote this. Of course, of course he wrote this movie. So I imagining a Danny Boyle movie written by the guy who, uh, what wrote and directed love actually, um, kind of, that kind of makes sense. This is kind of what I expect. We we should say he is a legendary screenwriter Four weddings and a funeral, Notting Hill, Bridget Jones diary, love actually, you know, like, uh, war horse, Obviously, from 2011, <laughs> the best, uh, the best is. saving yeah. the best for 2011, Warhorse, and so yeah, uh, very very talented screenwriter, um, but uh, also like has done a lot to shape what we think of as the modern romantic comedy. Right? Yes, yeah. uh, and I, I was listening to Mark Kermode's review, and he's like, "This is the best directed Richard Curtis movie ever." I agree with that, uh, and yeah. uh, I, I don't, I don't uh, dispute that at all. I think it's, it's. But very I will also add, like, uh, the world is a hellstorm right now, and uh, honestly, looking at news, looking at Twitter, doing anything really uh, reminds you that our government currently has, uh, you know, migrants and children in cages and deplorable conditions. Our country is being run by a psychopath. Like, uh, he was just buddy buddy with Vladimir Putin and uh, you know Kim Jong Un, like. Things are insane. So a movie that's about the Beatles and refining the magic of that and the power of pop culture, uh, maybe maybe is a good thing right now. I, I'm totally fine with consuming this and feeling a little bit of joy in the world because of this. But it sounds like you thought it was only okay, right, Devendra? Yeah, I, I would say only okay. I think I'm appreciating it more and more. I really liked uh, the lead Forget his name. Yeah, Himish Patel. Himish Patel. Himish yeah. Patel. And also Lily Allen is, uh, or sorry, uh, Lily, James. Lily, James Lily James is adorable in this movie. She's a delight. She's a yeah. delight. So yeah, there's a... that. There, I think there are certainly things we could talk about in terms of her role as a character. Yes. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think, fun and maybe not too memorable, but it definitely made me think more about the impact of the Beatles and honestly, any bit of pop culture that brings joy into the world. Jeff Canada with one N and two T's. Your thoughts on yesterday? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts about yesterday are best formed or summed up in the form of a limerick. Hmm. The music comes together to fit like a glove, and it managed to manages to help, sort of. But I can't let it be. This film's bad to me because <laughs> they thought all you need is love. Oh yeah. wow, that was very good. I really that is actually very right good. There. Yeah, See? very good, Jeff. I, up Bravo. to the level of difficulty on that one, fellas. Yep, yep, yep. Very nicely done. Very nicely done. Uh, but it does sum up what I think about this movie, which is um, I I adore the Beatles. I went through a massive Beatles phase, especially in high school. My friends and I petitioned. We were nerds, but we petitioned the uh, the committee, whatever committee it was, to have the homecoming theme be let it be and we actually it worked and we got i was just super into the beatles i love the beatles um so this the music in this mu- movie is a joy and i think uh as it is covered by uh himish patel or however whatever group of people they used for his voice i think it was actually him it was actually um, him yeah. yeah yeah uh it's great he's great uh it, it the covers are evocative and make you hear the lyrics in new and interesting ways um and the premise of this movie is phenomenal. It's a really cool, interesting idea. 
that this movie is not interested at all in exploring. Yep. And that is a major crime. This movie is a romantic comedy that is doesn't even do romantic comedy very well. It, and it uses this sort of magic spell to just get to the to the romance, but the romance is is poorly executed and and not uh, as much as I loved the leads. I thought the leads were great. They were they had charm and grace and talent uh, and were very watchable. I'm just I just adore Lily James. I think she's great. But as you referred to Devendra, I have never noticed a movie more where the female lead only exists. She we literally yeah. know nothing about her other than she wants to have a boy. Well, she's a school teacher, but she is one of those like effort, like endlessly devoted, uh, you know, female characters who what will wants do anything. What wants and guy. desires does she have in this world? One. Yeah. There is one want and desire she exists for. Her entire existence is built around having him fall in love with her. That is I, I will the say, only if, thing. as we go into spoilers, there are I think there's more. There they the movie adds more later on. And she like at the at the very least, we know she's a school teacher and she kind of wants to continue that life, too. But I, I yeah, for the first half, I was certainly not a fan of just her being the devoted, uh, not quite girlfriend thing. I, I yeah, I was shocked at how just uh, inhuman she was. She's just this thing that is there to want him. She's anyway. a manic pixie dream manager is what I would pretty much. I guess, yeah. but also. Yeah. You know, she she literally has nothing. There's nothing about her. There's nothing. It, it, I don't know. But the, and the and the movie like it it doesn't even do their romance well. It doesn't do the the love thing, the love story well. But that isn't even the worst part because there's this really cool sci-fi premise that really had the potential to talk about art and and what. What would what would happen if you just removed the Beatles from the world? Like what what wouldn't be here? What I I would love to, to have a sci-fi movie explore that idea. I, th I think the movie did kind of, well, yeah, it didn't really show the impact of what we lost, I guess, when everybody forgot about the Beatles, but this is spoiler talk. And I do think like where the movie goes kind of explores the value of these things that we lose sometimes. Well, and the other thing that being grateful for it. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. I don't I don't. The, the other thing the movie doesn't and we'll get to spoilers and talk specifics, but the movie lets the main character off the hook over and over and over. It, it just gives him an out all the time. And it, it just diffuses any stakes by just letting him off the hook. Uh, and I know movies are supposed to be these kind of romantic comedies are supposed to be light and fun. But this movie really had an opportunity to do something really interesting with this premise. And it absolutely fumbles the ball and is not interested in it. It's just basically not interested in doing all the juicy stuff that would result from this and making a statement. And, and there's a, there's a really interesting sci-fi moment at the end that could have been gobsmacking, but ultimately doesn't mean anything. It's just another out for the main character. And, um, I was very disappointed in this movie, even as I found it very watchable and charming and the music lifts it. I mean, I love this music and it, it just, it, it surges through this movie and it's performed often and well, uh, and there's, there's some funny stuff, but it ultimately just feels like a massive failure on every level to me. Wow. Massive failure. Jeez. Uh, I've seen everyone hating on this movie and, uh, I have to say I didn't hate it. 
I think yeah, that yeah. Um, I found it to be a perfectly fine romantic comedy. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, like, uh, sometimes I can kind of, like, tell how much I appreciated a movie by how much time I spend recapping the movie to my wife afterwards. You know, like, like this is one of those movies where, like, days later, I was still like, yeah, and this this part of the movie, when this happened, and it, this is so interesting, you know, and I'm like, even though the movie was only okay, there were so many interesting ideas it brought up that I couldn't, like, it, sure. it, it sent my mind spinning about all the possibilities. I agree with you, Jeff. It does absolutely nothing interesting with these ideas, right? It it does not pay off the extremely promising premise whatsoever, but uh, it made me think about all these things that I had had never thought about before. At least not in the way that I did after I watched this. Um, things about like like the one of the fundamental questions is if you re if the Beatles had never existed, which like who knows if you could even fig figure out a way to quantify that, right? But if the Beatles had never existed and you just started playing their music today would you even be able to break like would people even recognize it as brilliant well that's uh, that's the thing that i think is so interesting is there's a moment very early on in the movie where he starts playing a beatles song to people that have never heard it and they in in a in a bar and they ignore him and he comes mm -hmm. to the conclusion that oh it's it's me it can't it's not obviously not the song it's me and that was like oh my is this movie going to start talking about art and artist and what's the magic formula and it just Completely just abandons that after that and doesn't care. Well, I think it ultimately takes the position that like that true art will do, does withstand generations in cultural context. Like by by the by the mere sheer fact, you know, I don't think this is really giving anything away. Like by sheer dint of the fact that he uh, starts becoming popular for having played mm -hmm. the songs, uh, I, I I think the movie does take a position that these songs were great, and it doesn't matter the vessel. That they're in, um, like they 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 will still be recognized for their greatness, regardless. And I thought that was very that's an interesting. Like I, I, I mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, do I agree with that position? You know what I mean? It's a position. Do I agree with it? I don't know. Uh, and there's many things that the movie does that are like that. That I'm just like, it's taking a position on things, and I don't know if I agree with them. But I'm thinking about it. I mean, it's got my yeah. mind cooking on things. It's like yeah. the idea is like if uh, like Jeff, if Star Wars, memory of Star Wars, disappeared across right. the entire culture. And you're the only person that remembers it. Um, is it is it plagiarism or is it like honoring this right. material yeah. to keep it within the culture? Well, that's, well, that's a, a really interesting question. But also, you know, it, it, it talks about the thing that I kept churning on to when I was watching it is he's he plays like late career Beatles songs out of context. Right. So our culture got. A Hard Day's Night and, mm -hmm. and you know, this progression of Beatles music that leads to Sgt. Peppers and the White Album and all these, like, it, it is, they were already massive hits and household names and known quantities to the entire world before they started experimenting and doing these really incredibly artful compositions. And he sort of dumps that on the world immediately. I, I wanted some analysis of that and i started thinking of it on my own right but i feel like i'm doing the heavy lifting in this case and the movie is just interested in this fluffy nothing storyline that doesn't that has the opportunity to, to go there and just aborts i'll just say one other thing that the movie really made me realize uh and then we can move into spoilers because there's much more to talk about is that 
there is something distinct about not even just music, but pop music, right? That like uh, that is singular in terms of its ability to be replicated and in terms of its ability to be spread. Um, if, like you said, Devinger, like if Star Wars vanished and never existed again, first of all, it'd be pretty freaking hard to like recreate it. Uh, you know, this uh, is... I I think I think Jeff Kanata would be able to piece <laughs> together Star Wars from well, memory. E- even, yeah, if Jeff could memorize, a, even if Jeff could memorize every of, single scene, like yes, the idea yeah. is that you need like, to, uh, yeah, you yeah. need like dozens of people to collaborate with. Sure, sure. sure. Uh, and that, that is just really stand different. on stage with a guitar and do it. Yeah, you yeah. can see one dude with a guitar can change the entire world. And I think that is a really, that's another thing that the movie kind of, that, that is in fact a truth I actually believe in. You know, I think that's true yeah. that, that that can happen. Yeah. And I think the movie really illustrates that. Well, like if, but yes, uh, I want the opportunity to have to recreate Star Wars. Uh, if if the world flashed and it, it went away, please, I will be our, the hero we need. But it's just it's all it's like uh, if you know he woke up and like Michelangelo had never painted the Sistine Chapel. It's like, well, that's not something you can really do again. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not like you can just get up there and start doing it. Like, it's it, there's something about how accessible pop music is but also how complex it is and how uh, universal it can be uh, that I thought this movie really brought to light and that I thought was really uh, compelling. So even though the movie is only okay, uh, it had enough interesting ideas, it had enough going for it, and it is, as you pointed out, Devinger, a perfectly pleasant movie. It's a great date movie. It's a great movie to take your family to. It's a perfect uh, date movie. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah of, that yeah. I just like, you know what? It could be. It could do worse. I. I don't think it's a, a calamity like Jeff thinks it is. Well, I, so. I perhaps overstated that. I. Don't, I. I don't <laughs> feel it, it. It's a failure on every level, as I said. But on every level that matters for me, it does. It is a failure. I just. You're. You're right, and I agree that it is perfectly watchable and charming in a, in a variety of ways. But just the potential is there to be something so much more interesting, and that I think it just drops the ball and and it's so it may it's i find it very frustrating a movie yeah uh and i don't give it any credit for the charming stuff because it, it feels like a cop-out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i kind of feel like at the very least uh imagine being tapped to make the next james bond movie right this is <laughs> this is one of the greatest franchises of all time a character you grew up with you have the honor of doing it and then after working on it for what years, I think even or months, uh, certainly a while, uh, it gets taken away from you. I feel like Danny Boyle needed this movie. He needed something happy. He's like, I'm, I'm gonna make a, mo- a happy movie about the songs that make me happy, that bring you know joy to the world, and I'm just gonna do that. And I appreciate that at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Devinger. I, I find your reverence of the Bond franchise to be a little puzzling at this point, just because like. Uh, you don't you don't think that was a big loss for him though, Dave? Like I, I just don't I, think we I can know. I just like, don't think we all. can know. And also, I think that like he's Bond also franchi- talked about it heavily in all the interviews. So I think the yeah. Bond franchise is just like a really <laughs> retrograde franchise. I mean, like I think that it's it's really old fashioned and outdated. And yeah, maybe he would have brought something new to it. I guess we'll we'll see what happens with the new Bond. Um, uh, I, I believe Phoebe Waller-Bridge is going to write some for it. That should be pretty interesting. Yeah. Carrie Fukunaga is directing. So, like, 
Maybe don't act like market. you're not excited for the next James Bond movie. What are you talking about? David I mean, Chen? to figure the last Bond was like really terrible. You know, like yeah, it was very. Bad, it was so. really bad. It yeah. was not great. But there, within the past what decade, we've certainly we've gotten a couple that I think are genuinely great. But maybe I also remember you just didn't care for Skyfall, which is insanity. Yeah. But okay, it, and also I'm not talking about your love for Bond. I'm talking about this this guy, this guy who grew up, uh, you know, uh, in the UK. Who was able to make Bond? That loss, I think, I felt that as a fan of Danny Boyle, I wanted to see what a Danny Boyle James Bond movie would look like, and I guess looking after that, like thinking about it, like where he would go next, I think there's an interesting read here, and like, yeah, that that's all. I'm just pointing out that connection, and I find that an interesting lead after that failure, basically. All right, let's get to spoilers for yesterday, starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. All right, so a few a few things to talk about about the end of this movie, which is pretty odd at best. Um, so uh, l- let's point out some, some of the performances in here. Uh, I actually... Really enjoyed Ed Sheeran uh, humiliating himself for for our benefit, like playing <laughs> playing a really egotistical hey, version of himself. Hey, dude, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, dude. I, I, my one of my favorite moments was when the his phone rings and it's his own song <laughs> playing on the ringtone. I just thought yeah, that was like that was such great. a great little touch to show yeah. like what kind of person that is. Um, I thought Kate McKinnon was in a completely different movie. Uh, I mean, I think like yes, this movie is like very very broad in some ways but her performance while i enjoyed it was really over the top and felt like it just didn't quite fit in with the rest the tone of the rest of the film but i i still always like a a fun kate mckinnon performance i like i did enjoy it it just felt like really out of place for me i think for me she really cemented like what this movie is trying to be like it is this like fun breezy uh, stab at pop culture and commentary about you know uh, music as a product in the music industry like it is it's certainly not deep but it is really fun to watch Kate McKinnon uh, break down music as a product and we get we also get that crazy was it the uh, the master of media uh, well, that, that, that was a fun scene yeah. when they're like doing the marketing plan right where they like decide uh, how to market this album and I actually thought that was delightful like I, I yeah. thought it was a great I, you know, I wish the movie had been more like that, where like it, it felt like it had more to say about the modern music industry. Um, instead, we get a few uh, mild stabs like that. Jeff Kanata, my guess about what you're talking about earlier on with regards to like the movie lets him off the hook, particularly late in the game, is like when the two people who also know the Beatles uh, encounter him. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's one of the moments. But uh, I feel like over and over and over it, it sort of lets him off the hook as it doesn't ever challenge his assumptions on anything or, you know, he, he, there's a, there's a weird scene where we get the uh, chase you to the movie or movie chase you to the airport or train station that we have to have in, in a lot of romantic comedies. And yet, he thought that he missed her, but she was sitting in the thing and she missed her own train for some reason. And I don't even know why we had that scene. Cause they seemed to be fine. And then he woke up and was like, no, I need it. I don't know. The movie lets him off the hook, but yes, those two people, I thought it was an interesting take that they're like, no, we need to have the Beatles m- music, but it just completely sidesteps 
the notion of plagiarism and what that means and that he's how, how could you plagiarize something that nobody knows exists like that's the i think that's the bigger question too it's not like that he admits that he found these songs somewhere but it's not like anybody else can point to it and be like oh you definitely stole those songs i do wonder like what he is remembered as culturally right this weird well, guy who says these songs were discovered somewhere else right and at the end i don't buy the end of this movie whatsoever that yeah, that yeah, he yeah. just sort of can be a school teacher playing obladi for people it's just like well the okay. ending the 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 climactic sequence in this movie it feels ridiculous. It it feels yeah. like it was written by someone who has no idea how the modern music industry works, right? Like right. the think? idea that like, oh, I, I uploaded them to the internet, so now you can stream them for free. Like as though that would, uh, yes, the fact that you you know people don't need to stream it or whatever. That's like, yes, that's good. Uh, they don't need to go through Spotify to get it. But like, uh, then then he uh, he says like, oh, I didn't actually write the music. These four dudes you've never heard of wrote the music. Like yeah. the idea yeah. that that would be, what are the people? What's what's the Twitter reaction to that? You know, like people yeah, are not only that, but evidently those people actually exist in this universe. Yeah, because they exist. I, mean, I yeah. love I loved the the scene with John Lennon. I I was completely bowled over by the audacity of going there. It's Robert uh, Carlyle as John Lennon. Oh wow! Unbelievable. Nice. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, I I. The visual of him opening that door, I did not see that coming. For a second, I was like, did they get Paul McCartney to do this? <laughs> and then they opened the door, and I was like, wow, I did, I did not right. see that coming. That is ball, bold and ballsy. Um, but also, it, it adds a massive sci-fi ramification <laughs> to this that you have to go, well, okay, so what does that mean? Is He lived, so... Did, did he not meet Paul McCartney? Did they not right. grow up together? Like what? And also, why story? why is this? Why is John Lennon welcoming in this complete stranger that he has probably has no idea who he is into his house? Right. He probably right. doesn't get many visitors over to there. Give, you know? To but give him like, like, advice on life. Yeah. You know, I, I understand that the movie's trying to say like, hey, in the end, at the end of the day, all that really matters is like the people you love and like that you live a life that's happy and don't worry about all the fame and the money, you know, like that's what the movie's trying to say. But I felt like the introduction of John Lennon, that conversation, it just all felt extremely clunky to me. Like it felt like <laughs> we're, we're using a sledgehammer to make this point when a, you know, it was uh, like the scene in, in, in Forrest Gump when he's like, uh, imagine, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's easy, you know, no, no religion too. You know, it's like, it's like this goofy Forrest Gump moment instead of, what it could have been, which is an awesome sci-fi moment. And, and yeah, and it completely makes the end where he's like, these four people made this music. It's like, well, I guess we'll look those people up and figure out what the hell's going on. Like, he's but just I, like, I, he's just like upended those people's lives who, by yeah. the way, will have no idea what the hell he's talking about. Right. Right. Like whatever. Yeah. Well, he could be referring to any of these people with these names. I don't know. Like the movie doesn't <laughs> explore that, but Jeff, like I, I see what you're saying, but yeah, for me, the fact that I didn't expect this movie to really explore the sci-fi ramifications of everything around this premise. And I think that meeting, the Lennon meeting for me, even though it doesn't make any logical sense, there's no reason this guy would welcome a complete stranger to his house and just have like a meaningful life chat with him. Uh, it works on a character level. I think it worked thematically with what this movie was trying to get to. Uh, I mean, this movie also brings up the idea of other things that don't exist uh, after this weird power blink, like cigarettes don't blink. Like, does that mean like millions of people aren't dying every year 
because of uh, because they're smoking. Like yeah. it, there's no Coca Cola. I guess that that's a thing. I like the Oasis joke. That was fun. Yeah, um, that was fun. The movie doesn't really explore a lot of that, and it yeah, it tends to focus on like what this whole concept means to these lead characters. It's just throwing and, in yeah, all this random stuff to be like yeah, it, it didn't yeah. feel like there was like oh I understand why like these five things didn't exist you know like it's <laughs> it's just throwing in all these random things to like surprise you you know um, but like I, I, someone tweeted out today like. Uh, okay, so in the movie yesterday, uh, cigarettes don't exist. But does that mean tobacco doesn't exist? And if so, like the U.S. economy, like one of our biggest uh, crutches of our economy was tobacco when it was first found. So does that mean the U.S. is not a, a superpower anymore? You know, like it's just like the movie is completely uninterested in exploring <laughs> any of that stuff. Um, and that's I, that's it, fine. But then like don't introduce these concepts with reckless abandon is what I would say, right? Uh, so the only other thing I wanted to point out is one, one thing I really liked about the movie is like, I liked what it had to say about, uh, art and artists, mm -hmm. right? And, and, uh, there's this scene when he is playing, let it be for his parents and he keeps getting interrupted by people visiting him and stuff. And <laughs> it's that. like a very like slapstick it. kind of moment. Yeah. yeah. And at one point he loses his patience with his parents and he says something like, you know, he he gets so frustrated. He's like, you know, this is like, uh, what does he say? Does he say like like Michael or yeah. Leonardo da Vinci about to paint the Mona Lisa? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah you know, yeah. I'm like trying Something to paint like the Mona Lisa in front of you, basically. Like, and you're like, you're not paying attention. And it occurred to me that like to his parents, he is delusional. Yeah. Right. But yeah. to him, he understands that this art is like so brilliant that it must get out into the world, and. It is a metaphor for anyone who is an artist. It, it like mm -hmm. anyone who is an artist who does something, who podcasts, who paints pictures, who directs movies, uh, who makes music. You have to be a bit delusional. You you basically. have to be a delusional. You have to see, yeah. Like some part of you believes that you have something interesting to contribute to the world, and yeah. that may be you know a huge part of it. It may be a small part of it, but like there there is a part of you that's like I what I am making has inherent value. And it has, in some cases, more value than what other people are making because, you know, uh, not all art can be shared and viewed equally. And uh, I, I love that metaphor. I love the idea that, like, people who are artists think they have the world's greatest works, you know, or some of the world's greatest works inside them just waiting to come out. Or worthy um, works. Yeah, yeah, worthy works, right? And Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I I love that, and I totally feel that uh, metaphor as well. I loved that scene, but I also think that scene works literally because uh, yes. I don't know about you guys, but I have been in that exact situation, <laughs> minus the genius piece of art, but the the situation where your parents or yeah. loved ones look at this thing I made. Please, they're like, please. no, they're like, hey, can we please watch? I want to know about that thing. You, yeah, you, you do or yeah. you made. What's that cool thing? And you're like, OK, well, let's all gather around the computer. I'm going to load it up and press play. And then they start talking and you're like, what? <laughs> Can we, okay, I'm gonna, do you want me to pause it and we can finish our conversation and then we can start watching it? And they're like, no, 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 we're watching, we're watching. And then you start pushing play and they go, yeah, no, because he, I think, you're, you're talking over the thing I spent so much time working on. Yeah. You're talking. Do you want to watch it or do you want to talk? Because we can Have talk. All the time. Yeah. It is a very relatable scene for me uh, many times over in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. It's like, oh, wow, like, I, I realize that, like, 
this is a metaphor for all artists, you know, like that that everyone thinks they have something valuable to contribute to the world. And uh, and even though the movie itself is not that good, I like that it like got that part of my mind thinking about like, you know, to what extent is art like making art delusional, right? To what extent is it a delusional process that like uh, that, that to the world it's nuts, but th- to you it actually all makes sense. You're the only one that can see what it truly is. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, yeah, I, even though the movie's not that good, it got me thinking about these things. So you know, that's why I'm kind of a fan of it. Kind of re- would recommend it. Um, but yeah, we we mentioned the bit at the end where like the other two people uh, know what the Beatles sound like, and I thought that was a delightful scene when they're chatting and they're like, "Yeah, we I, yeah. we've actually had difficulty like recreating the lyrics ourselves." But like, <laughs> "Hey, dude, really? Did you have to?" You know, like, and um, uh, I, it made me realize like. This guy, the guy we're seeing, he knows the Beatles, and that is a kind of special hell because he's living in a world where the Beatles didn't exist and only he knows about it. But at least he can like play the music. Like, what kind of hell must it be to wake up, know the Beatles, but not be able to play music? Like, like, yeah, yeah, can, can you imagine like waking up and like you've seen like the greatest, you know, musical artists of all time and you know about them, but like you can, you have, you lack the ability to convey it to people, right? That's like black mirror, like nightmare material (laughs) right there, right? Yeah. Like like nightmarish to me. Um, Yeah. But the movie doesn't really explore that at all. Right. So like, (laughs) no, uh, yeah, no, I know. I thought that was I thought that was clever, but it, it just felt like a little bit of a cop out of, you know, what he's actually doing uh, and, and no, no, like why us three? You know what? You know, what else do you, do you remember? Coke? Do you, right. you, know, do you what else do you remember? Uh, would have been all very welcome yeah. moments but as far as I'm Jeff, concerned. I'm wondering, what are you asking for? Like, what sort of reckoning were you hoping for this character to see? Uh, I would like the I would like the movie to reckon with its own rules. I would like the movie to reckon with its own premise and say, okay, it's not just about falling real. The movie is about a guy who realizes he was in love with the girl who was standing next to him all along. Right, and that's so boring and banal in the context of. Oh my God, the Beatles don't <laughs> exist. What does that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the Beatles don't exist. What does that mean? What does that mean? What would you do? You know, like I, I kind of loved the Hey Dude moment, but I also feel like way earlier than that, this guy would have maybe made some tweaks because who knows? Like maybe mm-hmm. you wouldn't talk about stuff, talk about stuff that wasn't pertinent to your life you have no one's gonna know like i i kind of or does he think if i change the music at all or the lyrics at all then i ruin whatever magic right. it was that made them he hits. reveres it so much that i don't yeah i don't think he would have done that even the but hey I, dude thing was like a push yeah it, if we had had some thought about that like some exploration it all is juice that's inherent in the premise that mm. the movie just ignores and could have made for a much more satisfying plot like I'm just thinking of this now, but there's a, there's a movie called, um, Oh, it's, I love this movie. Um, time. What was it called? Uh, there's a time travel movie. Um, Is that the other Richard Curtis one about time? About or, time. Yes. Yeah. About time. About time is a romantic comedy. Is that a Richard Curtis movie? Yeah, it is. It, it is. is. Yeah. It's yep. phenomenal. Phenomenal. It does. It's really everything. good. It was like yeah, one of your favorite it. movies of that year, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It does everything this movie doesn't. It like it has this cool 
time travel thing. It has this cool sci-fi premise and it wants to be a romantic comedy and it succeeds at both. Like it, it really honors the, the setup and explores what the ramifications of his time travel are and has rules and sticks to those rules and all the things that you have to do for sci-fi. And also is a charming romantic comedy. And it does everything this movie doesn't. I think this movie just skates by on this sort of hokey, all you need is love. And she was standing right there the whole time. Yeah. That, that is not as good as the ideas it brings up. Yeah. I also think you're right that like the the way that it's executed is also even even the like rote execution of the romantic comedy bits are are really lacking. Like there's that confrontation they have at the coffee shop at the train station and she's basically like gives him the ultimatum of like hey, I know you're you're what's seeming to be a singular talent uh, who's brought us music that the the likes of which this world has never seen before, and that will last for generations? But by the way, if you don't come home right now, like it's not going to work out between us. Right. Uh, it's just like, really, is that really how that would play out? Like they couldn't, like uh, right. they couldn't have, kind of have, go long distance for a little bit. You know, they just like, yeah. And then she like gets yeah, with that yeah. other dude, but he's cool with when when our hero comes around. He's cool with stepping aside and like, yeah, he, the movie he, just lets him off the hook. Lets all of the characters off the hook all the time. There's no stakes for anything. We can have this big moment in front of millions of people uh, where he shows her on the big screen, even though he didn't ask her permission. And she's totally fine with that. And the <laughs> audience is just like, oh, OK, well, I guess we won't bother you anymore in your life. It's just it's so <laughs> weird. And like it yeah. never it, it doesn't never it, it doesn't it. feel authentic to the world that this movie has created. Right. Exactly. Like, yeah. exactly. like the movie gets some things right about virality about like how uh an artist can become famous about like getting tons of uh, youtube views i i Although like I how it... at the be- by the way at the beginning i think somebody would be trying to put this stuff on the internet whereas he's going the old school i'm, yeah. I'm just gonna play a couple of pubs i'm gonna, I'm he's, gonna doing do, pubs. Like, he's doing pubs he's doing like I've local news done. stations yeah. he's handing out his D- cds in you know at his like costco area yeah. of employment the internet's right there you don't you don't need any permission right to put music up there yeah, yeah. And, and and like uh he kind of goes the old-fashioned way and, but but it's like it's that is a path that one could pursue uh so it's very plausible um but then uh yeah i mean the, then the movie goes into crazy town with this whole ending where he's like the, none of it plays out in a way that feels emotionally true Right, the, right, right. She's just standing there with the camera pointing at her. She obviously knows what's happening, right? She obviously knows she's in front of like a hundred thousand people, but you know she's just gonna like stare longingly into the camera. Just, dude. dude, it feels to me like that entire scene was contrived because Danny Boyle thought it would be cool to have a giant her face image yep. yeah. standing behind him as he made this monologue. It I just mean, it does, so, it does look amazing, though. Like It, it does, does look the whole, amazing. You're the whole right, tableau looks amazing. Super contrived and yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Um, but uh, overall, despite all that, I, I still recommend it. I, I still <laughs> say, like, it. it's a, yeah, it's a good sit. It's yeah. fun. It, you know, it, I it think ha- once this movie hits streaming, I think a ton of people will be into it. Like, it'll, I don't know if this will be a big theater hit. I haven't seen the box office, but the, the this, box office is surprisingly good. It's around $17 million. Huh. It's one of the huh. few films of the summer that has performed, that's kind of adult skewing, that per- has performed better than people thought it would. So. I also, by the way, was entirely ready for this in, the, the entire movie to be a uh, weird uh, dream sequence that he had after being hit by a bus. Mm. 
I thought that he was going to wake up in the hospital without his teeth mm-hmm. at the end and be like, oh, crazy. And then the radio would come on. It would be the Beatles. And he'd be like, oh, I love you. Let's go make music together. But I'm kudos for it not doing that, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I do want to say one of the biggest kicks I got out of the movie was when he plays yesterday, the, like right after he gets out of the hospital. And everyone just reacts to it like, oh, my gosh, that was incredible. Uh, and and uh, like that was just such a delightful way of like introducing the concept to both mm-hmm. the character and to us. Uh, and on that note, like uh, the, uh, the extremely poor reception to his music, like the summer yeah. song music, I thought mm-hmm. was really uh, a funny juxtaposition as well. Um, that was the one thing that Kate McKinnon said that uh, like, I'm going to be quoting that line probably for a long time when she says something like, uh, it, <laughs> it's somehow simple without being charming uh, and uh, I hate it, but I'm not interested enough to listen to it again to understand why, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, one way I could sum up many reviews of the Slash Filmcast. So, I also um, liked, uh, I liked, uh, the the scenes of him struggling to remember all the lyrics exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, Rigby yeah. And, and like, stuff. they do the cutaways to, like, like yeah. th- there's a lot of Danny Bo- Boyle flourishes in this movie. Yeah. There's a lot of Dutch angles. Danny Boyle's doing a lot of uh, superimposing text onto location, mm-hmm. like locations. Big text, stuff. big text. Huge yeah. text into like locations now. Um, and like these cutaways to uh, the lyrics, like that he's kind of remembering, and then like the the cutaways are changing as he's going along. Um, I thought, which I think was eventually the actual footage of his actual wedding to her. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. Uh, and that's going to bring us to the end of our review of yesterday. Thanks for listening. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. And our. Uh, uh, slash film court music comes from Simon M. Harris. Actually, Simon M. Harris is a different site now, so I want to make sure I mention that correctly. It is smhmusic.com. smhmusic.com is the guy who wrote our slash film court music. Stay tuned to your we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Devendra Harder or can find more of your work on the internet this week. Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech and gadget.com. Also doing a tech podcast at nomoretech.net. Let's know with a K. How about you, Jeff Kanata? I'm on Twitter at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And I do a video game podcast called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I also do a narrative show called The Dungeon Run. It's a live play Dungeons and Dragons show where I'm the DM, making up the story for a bunch of players to play through. Uh, I hope you check it out. I'm really proud of it. And it's on YouTube as well as on uh, anywhere you get audio podcasts as an audio only show. Uh, It's called The Dungeon Run. Just search for it there or tune in live Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash The Dungeon Run. Find all my stuff at DaveChen.net. You can also subscribe to get emails from me at DaveChen.net slash letters. Going to be some interesting updates going on in the next few months. I'd urge you to subscribe to to check them out. Next week, we'll be discussing Spider-Man Far From Home. Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, And also, there's probably going to be some what we've been watching discussion of Under the Silver Lake if you want to brush up on that. So uh, that is streaming right now on Amazon Prime Video. Um, But yeah, Spider-Man Far From Home. I'm really looking forward to diving into this one with you, you folks. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Slash Filmcast. We'll see you next week. We watch the movie.